Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Happy Thursday, everyone. Although it's technically a Friday for me because I'm heading out of town this weekend uh, for a for a wedding. Um, but Raj and I are here. We're excited. This is probably going to be the the second to last pod that we'll do before the first preseason game. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but we're very excited uh, to be here this morning. Raj, how are you doing, man? How's your week going? Doing great, doing great. It's a beautiful Thursday, as you said. Uh, media day is in like six days, so we're um, getting started here pretty soon. And we'll be into really daily episodes, it feels like, uh, once once the season starts. Before we start, though, I just wanted something funny I saw over the weekend. Um, <laughs> I saw you live-tweeting football, which I thought was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I think you compared someone to like a two-guard or something like that. I saw and then I saw people telling you stick to basketball, which I thought was just the most hilarious thing in the world. I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it was pretty funny. When I, uh, so I was like, oh, no, I see JC going over to try to tweet live football. Someone's like, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> keeping on basketball. I just thought that was hilarious. Well, you and I probably wouldn't be able to do this if we let uh, Twitter trolls affect oh, of us course. too, uh, I just too thought, much. I just got a good laugh out of it. Oh no, and it's funny, and uh, that just in general, it's just like it, it, I think I think that's hilarious. Like, God forbid, I sit down and enjoy it. I know. Game. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> anyway, we are going to and Justin Herbert, the quarterback for the Chargers, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. The dude is uh, just a freak physical talent. I was blown away, and I couldn't believe the Cowboys won that game with how with how talented he is. But anyway, we uh, <laughs> today are going to break down the first fifteen games of the Lakers season quickly kind of go over the additions that those teams made and what we think about those teams. And then what we think, what we think the Lakers are going to uh, uh, accomplish in that first 15 games, a lot of road game or excuse me, home games, a lot of home games and a lot of teams that the Lakers are going to be heavily, heavily favored against. And we'll kind of discuss that in detail. Then we're going to talk a little bit about Frank Vogel's comments during his interview on the spectrum uh, Sportsnet show that he sat down for. And then if we have time at the end, we're going to talk a little Ben Simmons and a little bit of Wayne Ellington's interview that he did with our friends, uh, Zach and Roosh over with the balls life podcast. So a uh, lot to cover today. We're going to get right into it. So the first game of the season is at home against the Warriors. Um, the Warriors added Nemanja Bialica. They added Otto Porter Jr. They added Andre Iguodala. And then they have Clay Thompson coming back from injury. This is a team that I'm super intrigued by just in general because they've kind of, uh, they have all of the pieces from the death lineup in addition to some guys that they could kind of plug in there that are super interesting, like Otto Porter Jr., if they can be healthy. Now, Clay Thompson is probably not going to play to start the season and probably not going to look much like himself until later in the season. So I'm not particularly concerned about them being much of a regular season juggernaut. However, this is one of my like sneaky picks for a team that could be super dangerous in a playoff run because when push comes to shove, if it's Two games to two in game five in one of these arenas, it's going to be Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, and probably uh, Andrew Wiggins or Otto Porter Jr. in that other spot. And they're just going to be really, really tough to beat in that type of environment. So I consider them to be somewhat of a threat. However, season opener in Staples, raucous house, Lakers size is going to be a huge problem. I expect the Lakers to handle them on opening night, win by 10. What do you think about the Warriors? So to me, opening night is always tough. So LeBron, this is going to be LeBron's fourth year with the team. Um, we've lost opening night the first three years. So every single time, every single opener we've lost. I have this one as a loss. I just think the Warriors in a one-game sample are really tough. Um, I think our defense will be as connected opening night. I think Steph is just a handful. And I think Steph and Draymond feel like they'll have something to prove. I like the Otter Porter pickup for them as well. I just think in a one game, first game at Staples, all this energy can kind of go against you sometimes as well. You can kind of feel the nervousness. You know, they want to get that win um, on the first night. So I, I have this one actually as one of their few losses to start the season. Um, I just think like they'll lose a close one. The Warriors, I, I really respect them as a team, and I think they'll have something to prove. I just, I think this will be a really close game, and they'll want a little playback, payback for what, what happened in the play-in game as well. Mm-hmm. You're not uh, you're not wrong about those early season things, and that's definitely going to be what works against them. I'm more concerned early in the season for the Warriors of just having a legitimate talent issue. They're just not going to be super deep with talent, and I am really interested to see how experimental they are with their uh, uh, with their young players to start the season. Like, are we going to see a lot of Wiseman? Mm-hmm. Are we going to see a lot of those two uh, forwards that they drafted this year? Um, second game of the season, also at home 
against the Suns. They added JaVale McGee to spruce up their front court. If you remember last year, DeAndre Ayton was awesome, but when they went down to Dario Saric and Frank Kaminsky, it was a gigantic drop-off in terms of their in terms of their physical presence inside. So they got JaVale McGee to spruce that up. I like JaVale, solid pickup. Um, Alfred Payton, which I think was a really interesting signing, simply because when they would go down to campaign as their backup point guard, it was another really small player. It made it difficult for them to play multiple guards because they would have big uh, size disadvantages in the backcourt. Alfred Payton's just a much bigger, more athletic backup guard to have in that spot. Um, so I actually like that pickup a lot too. And then Landry Shamit. That's just another shooter off the bench. Not too much of an interesting piece for them. Uh, I think this is a revenge game for the Lakers. I think yep. I think they're going to attack it, and I think they win. I think it'll be close just because the Suns are a very good team, but I think, the, I think the Lakers will win that game somewhere 5 to 10 points, something like that. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think this is the one that LeBron and AD probably have circled already. You know, that first home game against the Suns, how the playoffs ended. Um, AD should still be able to eat. I don't know why the matchup hasn't changed enough to me to where AD can't be the impact player that he was um, when healthy in the series. Um, and yeah, the LeBron should be ready to kind of get some, hopefully campaign isn't himself, you know, campaign kind of killed us in the playoffs. So, uh, maybe they'll be able to keep a lid on him a little bit better than they did. But yeah, I see this one as a win. Um, they should start the season to be one and one. And I think it's a good, good early test for them as well. Westbrook kind of, uh, kind of test Westbrook as well against a, a really good team. So I think they beat Phoenix to start. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they have a couple of tough games at the start to kind of get them going because they come into a, a really funky stretch against a bunch of bad teams yeah. after that. We have um, the third game of the season also at home. Again, I think if I'm not, I might be miscounting here, but I think 11 or, four or 12 of their first 15 games are at home, which is like absolutely crazy. Um, uh, Grizzlies at home, they added Steven Adams and then they added uh, Jarrett Culver, uh, who was a former lottery pick for the Timberwolves. Uh, classic case of lottery pick change in teams because things didn't really work out. We're going to see a lot of that uh, uh, later on in the schedule. Um, uh, but th- I wrote this down as the first game that they'll play against a really, really aggressive dribble drive guard. You know, they're going to play Dame and Steph and, and uh, teams like that early in the season. However, those guys are more really aggressive off the dribble jump shooters. Uh, uh, you know, Jer- uh, uh, John Morant is just a relentless back, uh, basket attacker, especially at a pick and roll. It's going to be a really, really interesting challenge for the Lakers defensively. I think the Lakers will win, um, but I think it's a cla- I think it's a, a one of the ones I would circle as a potential upset just because if the Lakers do not have their guard core dialed in defensively, John Morant's going to light them on fire. Um, what do you think about the Grizzlies and what do you think is going to happen in that game? Yeah, to me, they're a very similar team to last year as well. It, it, it kind of uh, relies on the growth of Jaw, which I think he's going to be even better this year. And then Jaron Jackson Jr., who I think uh, he's been in and out of the lineup. But he's a he's a star big man when he's healthy to me. So him, those two. And if you remember last year, they played the Grizzlies at home. Grizzlies went up like 20 in the first half or something like that. I think the Lakers were kind of sleepwalking as well. But Jaw really kills them. Uh, he really care, kills that drop coverage. He has a really nice floater game. He gets into the paint really nicely. So it'll be a nice test. I also think they win. They're still a really young team as well, um, still kind of rebuilding. Um, but uh, And then they lost Jonas Valanciunas as well. I think that swap between him and Adams makes them a little worse um, just in the just in the front court. But, uh, yeah, I think the Lakers win that. Memphis is a good team, though. I think they're going in the right direction. They should be in that uh, that playing kind of, uh, play game uh, area of the, of the Western Conference. But I think it's a win as well. Yep, we are on the same page there. After that, they go on the road for the first time this season. They play in San Antonio against the Spurs. Uh, this is a team that's gone full rebuild. They have Doug mm-hmm. McDermott, they have Thaddeus Young, and they have Zach Collins. Um, but they lost to Mar DeRozan. Their guard core is super young, but very talented. They're certainly a threat. However, this to me, also in the LeBron James era, the Lakers have pretty much just dominated the Spurs. Um, so this mm-hmm. just in general is is a game that I expect the Lakers to win. Classic road game against a rebuild. Probably going to be sloppy, but eventually I think they'll pull away third, fourth quarter, win by like 10, 15 points. What do you think? 
Yeah, I agree. I really like Deontay Murray. Like, I think he's a really nice player, especially when he's healthy. Uh, but I think he has a bright future. But, yeah, they just don't have enough options. Lost DeMar DeRozan as well, who's really their main playmaker. Uh, like you said, they're in a full-on rebuild. All these young kind of guards that need minutes. Derek White, I think I like him as well. Um, but, yeah, it should be a young team, kind of like a close game, and then pull it away at the end. Um, and San Antonio definitely is going the other way in terms of wins and losses. So I agree with you. I think it's a, I think it's a win. I have them at, I think, 3-1 and one now. Um, you have them at four and oh, is that correct? Yes, I don't. I don't have them with a loss yet. <laughs> Spo- spoiler right. alert: I have the Lakers winning right a lot of games early in the season. Yeah. but I have a I have a rationale. I will explain as we get to the games. Uh, mm-hmm. So then they stay on the road and go to Oklahoma City to play the Thunder, uh, another full rebuild team. Obviously, Shea Gildas Alexander is a All Star in the making. Uh, probably not a guy who's going to be a superstar, but a guy that I expect to be kind of like a, a competitor for third team All NBA for most of his prime. Um, they added Derek Favors, and then they drafted that really tall point guard from Australia, Josh Giddy. Um, mm-hmm. This is another game I expect to be sloppy, but I think the Lakers will win by 20 just because there's just a gigantic talent gap between the two teams. What do you think? Yeah, in my notes, I put OKC isn't fielding a real basketball team. So that's that's my notes on, <laughs> on Oklahoma City. Um, I, lo- I love I love Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, I'm happy for him. He got the max. But yeah, that team is... Uh, trying to lose and trying to lose a lot. Um, and it's kind of flagrant what's going on there, but that's another discussion. I think the Lakers uh, definitely pull this one out. And pull, and it's a little homecoming for Russ as well. I think he loves playing in front of Oklahoma City. It gives him even that extra boost. Not that he needs it, but uh, he uh, playing in Oklahoma City, I think it, it's different for him. So, uh, yeah, I think they win that one as well. So the this next game at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers, I think, is pretty interesting. The Cavaliers have been a team that's weirdly generated a lot of buzz recently just because some of the bigger... Some of the bigger NBA writers out there, guys like Zach Lowe, guys like Kevin O'Connor, have been really pushing a uh, uh, you know an emphasis on how good the backcourt is, the Sexland yeah. backcourt, which is uh, Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. Um, I'm I'm also on board with them. However, I and Zach Lowe kind of touched on this in his appearance on Bill Simmons' podcast the other day, but like there is at the end of the day you know, a heavy reliance on guys in the front court that aren't exactly like Evan Mobley will one day be a fantastic front court player. Jarrett, uh, Jarrett Allen is already a great shot blocker in the front court, but just in general, they don't have a lot of guys in the front court that can put the ball on the floor and make plays, which inherently makes the game tougher for their guards. I find them to be a very interesting team. However, I find them to be a team that's going to lose a lot of games. They added Lori Markinen. That's another example of one of those guys who's a lottery pick who really struggled in Chicago, mm-hmm. who, Early on in Chicago showed a lot of promise as like a good two way forward who could really shoot the ball and was kind of weirdly uh, a, a, a presence around the basket as just like a, a big wing who could have some defensive impact, but just in general didn't perform up to that expectation. It was, it was like the idea of Laurie Markkinen was better than he actually was as a player. Um, Evan Mobley, we just mentioned, they brought in Ricky Rubio, which is going to be really nice for Colin Sexton to just kind of learn about some of the intricacies of point guard play that he's kind of missing. The rub on Colin Sexton is even though he's actually a super efficient scorer for a little guard, he doesn't move the basketball. And so there have been issues over the years with his teammates in particular that have complained about him never passing the ball. So that's uh, something. And then then they added Denzel Valentine. I put this down as the first real risk of loss. Uh, for me personally on the team uh, because it's the classic game where if Darius Garland and Colin Sexton are going and the Lakers guards aren't dialed in defensively, they could easily trick this game off. Um, It's kind of attacking one of the Lakers specific weaknesses, but I do think the Lakers end up winning close. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Cleveland's interesting because like Colin Sexton, he averaged 24 a game last year, which is, you know, it's nothing to scoff at. That's not something that's easily done. We kind of put down scores in this league, but 24 a game is 24 a game, whether you're passing or not. That's still pretty, uh, pretty good on good efficiency. Um, I think losing Larry Nance hurts. I think he's better than Laurie Markkinen, honestly. And, and they paid Markkinen as well, which is, was really strange to me. They gave Jared Allen $100 million and then took, uh, Mobley as well in the draft. I don't know, just a strange team. A lot of guys trying to get minutes. I really like Garland as well, but again, with Ricky Rubio there, all the minutes. LeBron loves playing in Cleveland as well. If you remember last year, he had that crazy kind of game at the end where he was hitting all his shots. Um, I think they win as well. I think uh, LeBron loves playing there. And they're still a young team to me, still trying to figure things out. Um, I don't remember if they have a new coach or not, but, uh, but yeah, I think they're a young team trying to figure it out. And the Colin Sexton stuff is just a cloud over all of this with him not getting his extension. So I think it's just a weird, still a weird young team. I think they're going to be fun, exciting. 
But after the Lakers playing this one out, it should be a team, a game that you win as a good team trying to trying to uh, pursue a title here. I think these are games you have to take. I agree, and I and I think I think they're going to lean heavily on Evan Mobley to get him minutes so that he can kind of mm-hmm. continue to grow as a player. And I think the Lakers front court is just going to demolish them. Mm-hmm. Um, at home against the Rockets is the next game. They have Usman Garuba. He's we learned a lot about him uh, in the Olympics, but just a fantastic defensive forward with flashes of like incredible all defensive potential. Jalen Green, obviously, who we watched in summer league, show flashes as just a dynamic, athletic two-guard scorer. And then Daniel Tice, if you guys remember, as the starting center from the Celtics teams that did really well a couple years ago. Um, I put them down tanking team, Lakers by 20, and the, uh, and, but it'll be sloppy. And they actually play this team back-to-back both games at home. Mm-hmm. So the second one will probably be sloppier than the first, but I expect these both to be Laker wins. Yeah, me too. I, I like Jalen Green a lot. Houston's a really young team. Uh, they're just starting their rebuild as well. So just a young team doesn't really know how to win yet. But I think they'll be really fun. They have a bunch of young guys that seem really exciting. Um, obviously, John Wall won't be there. So it really opens up minutes for uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Uh, as we said, Jalen Green, uh, Garuba as well. Um, but again, just a young team doesn't know really what it's doing, but it should be fun. I feel like this is going to be like a 120 to like 110 type of just scoring game where the Lakers pull it out. They should win both of these games pretty comfortably, though. Yeah, and uh, like you said, with with Kevin Porter Jr. and with Christian Wood in particular, they're going to have lineups that have a ton of talent on the floor. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think they'll win games, but they will have stretches where things kind of all click, where they look like you know Houston fans are going to be really excited about the future. Um, back against the Thunder again for their next game at home. I just put Lakers win by fifteen. I, I'm assuming you would agree there. We already talked yeah. about that team. Mm-hmm. So this next game is super interesting to me. Uh, this is on the road against the Trailblazers. They added Ben McLemore, who I have defended as being kind of in a tough spot in L.A. last year, uh, just kind of thrown in in the middle of the season into a, uh, and being de- asked to do a lot without given much of an opportunity to really figure it out. Um, they got Larry Nance back in that deal with the Cavs. Uh, nice little spruce up for their front court. And then they got Cody Zeller. I put this as a, a real road test, especially after two terrible teams. One of the things that I always watch out for is when NBA teams play bad teams, they form bad habits. And mm-hmm. it's not it, it's hard to overnight uh, fix those habits. And so I, I see this as a game where the Lakers could potentially fall behind early. Uh, however, again, there's a gigantic talent gap here, and you know there's one person on the Lakers roster who's going to make sure that the Lakers are fired up for this one, and that's Russell Westbrook. So I, I put this as a, as a game that the Lakers would really, really want to win, and thus one that I think they would win. What do you think? So I have this one as a loss, actually. I, I just at Portland always seems like a tough situation also in my notes I put Dame hates us for some reason and obviously that hate is double now with what you just said with Russell Westbrook on the team um him and McCollum for some reason for some reason in the regular season just a tough matchup for us two guards who can shoot off the dribble um come off screens and pull up that really kills us that's really kind of our uh heel here um in the regular season and I just think uh Dame in the regular season they'll be healthy as well Nurkic will Nurkic should be there um Covington I think is still there um and uh, they obviously switched out uh, Gary Trent for Norman Powell last year, and they re-signed Norman Powell. I think they have a nice starting lineup. Uh, I think I saw the numbers. Their starting lineup last year was like plus 11 or something, and it was even better in the playoffs. Um, their bench was just terrible, and I, I'm not sure how, if they really fixed that in uh, in the offseason. Um, but I just think uh, regular season at Portland is a tough game. One of the losses I have for them uh, in the regular season. Uh, it'll be close, but I just have uh, I have Portland sneaking that one out. Yeah, Portland's an interesting team because that was the that was always the silver lining for them last year was that their starting lineup not only did they uh outscore teams by a lot in those minutes, but yeah. they def- they defended well, which has always been mm-hmm. the rub on the Blazers was the fact that they didn't play any defense. And mm-hmm. um essentially when they uh um uh when they had that group together for whatever reason it clicked. Uh but they lacked mm-hmm. the depth to kind of maintain that as they went further into games. Um, okay, so at home for the Hornets is next. They added James Booknight, uh, a rookie that they just drafted. Super athletic kind of scoring guard, the kind of guy that's not going to have a ton of impact, especially coming off the bench for them because they already have so many uh, you know, uh, shots coming to those two guards. 
Wes Awundu, super athletic forward, defensive type of player. Um, Not really too much of an impact on them uh, in their rotation, but an interesting piece. Kelly Oubre from the Warriors, kind of another interesting player who's capable of going super frosty cold, but then he'll have a game every once in a while where he looks like an all-star. And then Mason Plumlee to kind of spruce up their the center position. Another challenge for the Lakers defense because of how good their guards are, you know, with Lamelo and Terry Rozier. Uh, but I think the Lakers' size will just be completely overwhelming for them. And they're just like in that 2020 season, there are going to be games on the schedule where, regardless of what's going on with talent, regardless of what's going on with, uh, you know, matchups in the backcourt, regardless of what's going on with the schedule or anything, there are going to be games where the Lakers' size is just so overwhelming that they're just going to win, which is what happened in 2020. And I put that as one of these games, um, uh, Lakers by 10. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Charlotte's an interesting team. Um, I think they go as far as LaMelo kind of takes them, right? Like, what is his jump? Like, is he stay the same or does he make that like Donovan Mitchell, not Luca? Maybe Luca's a tough one to make too, but kind of that, you know, next level kind of close to star tier. Um, can LaMelo turn into that? If that, if that's what it is, then they're going to be a playoff team. They kind of built around him as well, right? They brought all these young kind of wings. You talked about Kelly Oubre. They have Miles Bridges as well, guys that can run the wing for him. Um, I forgot the center they brought in, um, but uh, I forgot the big man they brought in. But um, they brought him Mason. Plumley. Okay, yeah. So they brought in another like athletic kind of big for him um, to just to run the offense through. Again, I still think they're a super young team. Uh, they're kind of they're going to give you fits in the regular season. They're going to try to run the ball and all that. Um, should be a fun one at Staples. Uh, I think the Lakers pull it out, but uh, I think they'll be close. Last year they gave us a they gave us a hell of a game last year too. I remember uh, when we were healthy. I think uh, Lamelo had a big game at Staples. Just a fun young. Yeah, team. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Lamelo's good. I think he's the real deal. So we'll we'll see his kind of uh, next step in development. He has a full healthy offseason as well to work on his game. So I'm excited to see what Charlotte turns into. But I have the Lakers winning this one as well. The interesting phenomenon with Lamelo last year was that he often was taken off the floor for clutch situations. Um, he's got great physical tools and has a tendency to disrupt a lot of plays defensively by getting his hands on the ball. However, he's your classic young player who doesn't really understand that, you know, uh, there's uh, the I, I can't even remember who said this. So I want to be uh, I, I feel bad because I'm not going to properly credit them, but they, they laid this out so perfectly. They were saying, like, good defense is about making good offense not happen, not about turnovers, you know, because a turnover is difficult to replicate. If you reach in and swipe a ball from somebody and go the other way, that's great. But the next time you try that, he's probably going to do behind the back door. will leave you in the dust and break down your defense. Good defense is about always being in the right spot at the right time. So that good offense doesn't happen. LaMelo has to learn that side of the game. It's kind of the, the similar stuff that we've been talking about with THT, but I'm really interested in, in watching LaMelo's progress because he should be a good defensive player in the long run. That, um, was, uh, that was actually, that was PD Webb who was on the Laker film room. Podcast. Yes. I remember thank that. Yes, you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. Uh, that was a really interesting pod, by the way. I really enjoyed no, it. Was, it was great. He's great. Um, so home for the Miami heat added Kyle Lowry, Markeith Morris, PJ Tucker from the bucks. Um, I put this as the only Lakers loss in the first 15 games. So I have them going 14 and one to start the season in large, in large part because of the, uh, um, the week schedule, but this is a couple things. This is a team that for starters, the uh, Kyle Lowry has always had his way with the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, the heat always play their brand of basketball, which is in this season in particular, I think is going to be just very similar to the 2019 Raptors, just like obnoxiously good defense and just really fundamentally sound offense. To me, this is the kind of game where it's going to be in staples. The heat are going to kind of always be up by five and the Lakers are just going to seem a little bit out of it mentally and kind of coasting their way through the game. And then all of a sudden, like Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler are just going to make a bunch of big shots down the stretch and then they end up losing by like 10. And it's just kind of one of those weird games. So I have this as a Lakers loss. What about you? I actually do too. You know, you know, it's funny. Those are actually the worst games to watch as a fan where your team is down five and you can never like get over that hump. You know what I mean? Like those are the most frustrating kind of games. Like you make it close and then they, they make like two shots in a row, which is exactly what Miami does. Jimmy Butler plays at his pace. Kyle Lowry plays at his pace. Bam out of bio is kind of 
a slow kind of big, right? He's kind of just plays his pick and roll kind of game. Um, I agree. Miami's going to be a great regular season team to me this year. Eric Spolster, amazing coach. Um, he'll find a way to make that work. I have this one as a loss too. Um, so I have this as their third loss um, in, in the series. But uh, yeah, I think Miami's a really good team. It's going to be a tough one to kind of pull out. Um, should be close though. Two really good teams to me. I think these are both teams that could compete for an NBA championship. So uh, I, I think, uh, I think Miami wins this one in Staples. Yeah, no, I, I, I would pick the Lakers over. Like, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, we've got to watch out for the Raptors in the playoffs if we ever run into them in the finals. They're a bad uh, matchup. Yeah. And I always disagreed with that. Like, I, I never thought that the Raptors were a real threat to the Lakers in a playoff series. I just think some there are some types of matchups that are particularly tough for specific types of teams in the regular season. And I thought that mm-hmm. that was kind of what that was. And I think the Miami Heat are kind of a similar example in that regard. Um, next home for the Timberwolves. I, the only meaningful change that I put down was Patrick Beverly. They're kind of more or less the same group of guys that they were last year. The core center around Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony towns, which is a really funky fit because Anthony Edwards will one day be a great defensive player, but right now he's not. And neither is D'Angelo Russell, neither, neither is Carl Anthony towns. So they're kind of built around a core that doesn't defend. And that's obviously a recipe for disaster in the NBA. I put the Lakers win by 10, but the weird wrinkle with this is the Timberwolves are a potential Ben Simmons trade destination. And it's very possible that by this point, they look very different. Um, But that's where we might as well react to what we know for now. And so right now it's Patrick Beverly in the same group. And I think the Lakers win by 10. What about you? Yeah, I agree. Minnesota has their own issues. Um, I think they just like let go of their GM yesterday for some weird, some other reasons. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just I think the Lakers win this one as well. I think uh, Minnesota is going to depend on Cat to me. Like Edwards is obviously great, still in the second year. D'Lo is who he is now in the league. I think we know what D'Angelo Russell is. Um, he's going to be a kind of off the dribble, high volume kind of score. Um, but it's all around Colorado Anthony Towns. Can he? Carl Anthony Towns came into the league as like this defensive big. Like we forget his rookie year, like he was a good defensive big. Like he was there. They used to do these polls, like who would you take, Cat, um, Anthony Davis, or Embiid? And people would pick Carl Anthony Towns a lot of times. And I'm not sure if just Minnesota not really being a real fan franchise for a while, um, kind of changed that. But uh, yeah, I think I think they're going to depend big on Cap. The Lakers should win this one. I think the overall talent uh, gap is just too big um, when Minnesota you know, takes away the starting lineup. They really don't have much coming off the bench. So yeah, I think the Lakers win this one as well. So, you know, Carl, I think there are Carl Anthony Towns is an interesting case defensively because I think there are two different kinds of, of defensive players. There are like tone setters. And then there are guys Mm -hmm. that kind of like, like think of it as like leaders and followers, right? Like, you know, um, uh, like Anthony Davis is a defensive leader. Like whatever tone he sets defensively, the rest of the team just kind of follows. I think Russell Westbrook will be a guy like that this year too. Like if he really sets the tone at the point of attack, I think the rest of the team will follow. Carl Anthony Towns, and this is I kind of was defending him a little bit on Twitter last night because people were bringing up the 2018 first round series against the Rockets and how he didn't play particularly well. You know, in mm-hmm. general. I was defending DeAndre Jordan for the same example. DeAndre Jordan and Carl Anthony Towns, in my opinion, are guys that if they are put around a group of guys who are defending, they are capable of being much better defenders than if you ask them to lead the way. Carl Anthony Towns clearly doesn't have the defensive impact or the defensive, you know, care, you know, for passion, whatever you want to call it, for lack of a better term. He's not going to set the tone for you defensively. But if they did bring in Ben Simmons or somebody along those lines who could be a tone setter defensively, I do think Carl Anthony Towns will have a phase of his career where he defends well. He just, so that's kind of the way that I would frame his defensive progression to this point, if that makes sense. That does. He's also like an offensive monster. His numbers are insane. It just doesn't really translate to like, super dominant basketball you know what i mean like his his shooting numbers are like when you talk about him they say like he's one of the best shooting bigs ever but you look at it in terms of impact of winning it doesn't really impact the scoreboard as much as i think it should and again maybe that's just his surrounding roster around him but the talent is there like he sh- he should be this defensive leader like you're saying but uh he's just not he needs like a he needs an anchor around him obviously jimmy butler was that for them but again minnesota's in a weird place now where they're trying to figure things out and when they had Jimmy Butler and they were healthy, they were actually really good. Um, it didn't really yeah, matter too much because they had big injury problems and then they barely squeaked into the playoffs because of those injury problems and a midseason trade for Jimmy Butler. They got into the playoffs on the last day of the regular season by beating the Denver Nuggets. And then they mm-hmm. ran into that buzzsaw Houston Rockets team, which is one of the best teams to ever not win a title. 
And uh, so just in general, the way that I would frame that is like he had one real season, half a season really, where he was in a competent system and he will have more seasons in the future where he's in a competent system and we should evaluate him then. And lastly, he in theory is a devastating playoff weapon. He is a, a guy who can score out of the post, meaning that you can absolutely throw him the ball out of a switch in a playoff defense that's switching and attack mismatches. And mm-hmm. he can space the floor, not just space the floor, but like space the floor uh, to the elite level. Like he could shoot six threes a game and make 42, 43 percent of them. That in theory should be a, a really devastating playoff player. And I'm excited to see whether or not that really amounts to anything. Yeah. Um, home for the Spurs next. We already talked about their roster. I have this as another Lakers win. How about you? Yeah, me too. Yeah, still young team. We, we went to that, Murray. So uh, last game in the first 15 is the Bulls. They added Lonzo Ball, uh, DeMar DeRozan, and Alex Caruso. Um, this is a team that has really varying opinions. You've got guys on their, uh, online who think they're going to be great, and then you have guys who think they're going to be terrible. I put this as a tough game. I think the Lakers are more equipped to handle this team defensively because they don't have fantastic dribble drive guards. Uh, most of their offense centers around really aggressive jump shooting from Levine. You know, Lonzo has turned him, himself into a really aggressive jump shooter. And then DeMar DeRozan, who likes to attack mismatches in the post. So from that standpoint, I see this as a team that the, that kind of plays into the Lakers matchups. So even mm-hmm. though I actually am higher on the Bulls than most people are, I do believe in their formula. I think the Lakers will win this game by about 10 points because I think it's a good matchup. What about you? Yeah, me too. I went back and forth with win or loss. Uh, I ended up on the Lakers winning this one. Chicago's like a real test case for like what matters defensively in the NBA, right? They have all these like, not all of them, obviously DeMar, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine aren't great, but Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso are good on-ball defenders. But in their back line, they have Vucevic as their main you know, rim protector. Like it's going to be interesting to see if they can even keep a good defense with that. And obviously when you play Lonzo and Alex Crusoe, you give up a lot of offense as well. So I'm just wondering how that works. And then Zach Levine, DeMar DeRozan kind of are going to kind of do the same things. Um, so I'm really interested to see how they work, but they did put a bunch of talent together. Like they have talent. I just don't know how much it impacts to winning. So I'm interested to see how, how that works. But yeah, the Lakers winning this one. I don't think the Bulls, um, can defend well enough inside. I think uh, AD will be a lot for you know. Oh, LeBron like, and it, they have nobody that can guard LeBron and it, AD. Yeah, exactly. And again, they're perimeter defenders. You give up a lot of offense when you play those two together. So I'm just interested to see how that works. I, I think the Bulls will be an okay playing team. That's where I have them at. Zavine, Demar, Demar Derozan should be able to rack up a, a good enough regular season wins to put them in the play-in. But I think they lose uh, at Staples. You So you have them at 12-3. and three. Am I counting that correctly? Yep. Yes, I do. Okay, so I, and I had them 14-1, and one, and I wanted to explain why. Because there were a couple of coin flip games that I had going for the Lakers. And this is something that I've talked about on the podcast before, but I just wanted to quickly reiterate it. You know, it's really easy to sit there and be like, oh, you know, classic LeBron team coast through the regular season. And, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're not going to really be trying to win all these games. Oh, there's basketball fit. You know, that takes time, blah, 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 blah. They're going to mm-hmm. I think I think the Lakers are going to win 65 games this year. And I, I've laid this out before, but the reality of the LeBron AD experience has been that when LeBron is healthy, they absolutely try in the regular season. They try harder than just about every team in the NBA in the regular season, you know, maybe than other, the other than maybe the bucks. So like the, and that is evidence in their defensive ratings and it's evidence in their win loss record. They won six, they won at a 64 win pace before the bubble last year. And they won at a six or two years ago. And they won at a 64 win pace before the LeBron and AD injuries last year. So the reality is, is when they're healthy, they try to win. If the Lakers are, are not in uh, uh, near the top of the standing, in my opinion, it will only be because of injuries. And if you look at that schedule, every one of those games is winnable. They absolute, they don't play a real contender at all in that first. Uh, I mean, maybe the Suns, if you're counting the Suns, maybe. But like they don't play any of the top tier teams in the league in this first 15 game stretch. They will probably in Vegas be favored in every single one of them. So it, right. it is absolutely in play that they could go 15 and 0. I'm picking 14 and 1 because I think they will drop one of them. But I, I, I really think people are going to be surprised at how well the Lakers mesh pretty quickly and how well they attack the season. And lastly, the people are obsessed with the Russell Westbrook fit. And I think Darius Soriano laid this out the other day on his pod. But the Schroeder fit for, for the fact that Schroeder is obviously a, an inferior player to Russ, it's a similar basketball dynamic, though. 
and this is something that I addressed on Twitter a couple weeks ago, but like the LeBron is familiar with what it's like to play with a ball dominant guard and people are, are kind of over. And, and if you're concerned about spacing issues with Russ, do you think people were guarding Dennis Schroeder out by the three point line? No. So like in, in my opinion, it's going to be a very similar fit to last year, just with a much better player. So I expect that in and, and LeBron and AD went, went 24 and three in their first season together to start. So I don't think fit and, and that and integration is going to be much of a problem. Yeah, and at 12 and 3, I kind of looked at it um, from percentage points. That's about a 65 and a half win pace, um, 82 game regular season, and 12 and 3, 14 and 1 isn't that crazy much off. I'm going off that 21 and 6. No, Roz, you're a pessimist, man. Stop. stop <laughs> I know, deflecting. very pessimistic. Um, what's funny, though, after, after those 15 games, the next two games are actually Milwaukee and Boston. So that's a kind of nice little test there, um, those two games right after that. But you're right, this is a really easy schedule and they should win a lot of these you're going to hear a lot of uh strength of strength of schedule kind of arguments oh, come up yeah, again get like ready it, get ready for that uh like it did in 2019 but yeah a lot of these should be wins man the the league kind of hooked them up a lot of home games against a uh, really bad team so you should be able to rack up wins and i think in the regular season that matters you know getting some wins getting some confidence you know as a good team um when you have a good record it kind of uh, plays out through the year and really helps out. So um, I think also with a new team, uh, that's a big deal. And Westbrook, LeBron, and AD, it's just enough talent to bulldoze um, more than 80% of the league to me, no matter what system or whatever uh, chemistry it takes to build with them. So I agree with you. It should be fun. It should be a fun season. Fans back in the stadiums, I think, means a lot. Um, those first regular season games early in the year last year just felt dead a lot of the time, just with no energy. And uh I think crowd back means a lot. So we should have a good start here. I think 15 games is a nice kind of benchmark uh, that we looked at there. Um, and yeah, we, we have them winning a lot of games early. So hopefully this doesn't backfire and they're like, they're like a seven and eight or something to start, but, uh, <laughs> but, it, but yeah, this, this should be a good, good start to this season. I would be absolutely flabbergasted if they lost more than three yeah. games in that start. Um, so we're going to move pretty quickly through these next couple topics because we only have about 13 minutes. So uh, really quickly, Frank Vogel did an interview with the Spectrum Sportsnet, and the two main things that you and I took away were him saying that Rajon Rondo was going to basically be Jared Dudley. Uh, we won't talk about that per se, but I think that's good news for both you and I because that was one of my biggest concerns when they mm-hmm. brought him in was whether or not he was going to take minutes away from some of the other guards. Um, the one we will talk about is... Frank uh, mentioned that uh, he doesn't know if AD is going to play at the center and that it's going to depend on training camp in which groups look good together. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let you go first, but I'm going to say I'm calling BS on this one. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think he was just giving all of you guys a bone. You know what I mean? You guys have kind of been <laughs> waiting for this uh, for this kind of news and he kind of threw it to you. I, I'm not, I don't know if I call it BS. Like, I do think he goes into training camp, like, with an open mind. Obviously, every coach is going to go in with who they think, right? Vogel, this is his life. So, obviously, he's been drawing up rotations since, you know, August or whatever, September, um, for what he thinks. But I'm sure if he goes in and someone kills one of the power fours, just kill it. Let's say Ariza's just amazing in camp. Maybe he starts, you know, at the, at the three with Le- LeBron at the four. So, I think that is an open possibility. I think DeAndre Jordan has, or Dwight Howard has to kind of lead in this to be the starting, uh, starting center, but I think it's open and I think it's good to hear um, him say that as well. So I, I, don't, I don't call it BS, but I do think he has an idea of what his rotation would be. But I think training camp, things can change. People can win. Uh, I think THT kind of really impressed in training camp and preseason last year and put him in the rotation when, you know, it probably wasn't sure if he was going to be. So I think there are, there are spots to be taken. And, and with the Rondo news, it means that like, you know, uh, Kendrick Nunn, Malik Monk are probably going to get those minutes at backup guard. So I think that's a, that's a good thing as well. Yeah, so I would say that this is just my prediction, and we're gonna we're gonna find out here pretty quick. Mm -hmm. I would say that they absolutely know what the starting front court is going to be. I think it's going to be LeBron and AD at the four and the five. That's my prediction, and we will see. Um, But regardless, whether it's AD at the four with Dwight or or DeAndre Jordan at the five or AD at the five, whether that's one or two spots, I do think that the one or two guard slash wings that they're going to put next to Russ and LeBron and AD. I absolutely think that's up in the air. Mm-hmm. My guess is that that will be entirely based on camp. And I really think it could be anybody. If I had to, if I had to pick, I would guess that it'll be Ellington and, uh, and Ariza that start. That's just my guess. It'll be Russ, Ellington, Ariza, LeBron, AD. 
I love that lineup defensively, and I love that lineup with the shooting around uh, uh, the the AD at the five lineup to create driving lanes. That's my favorite starting lineup combo. However, you could you could make the case for anybody to me. I think Kendrick Nunn is somebody that I don't expect to start, but I wouldn't be surprised if Malik Monk somehow got it. I wouldn't be surprised if THT somehow got it. I wouldn't be surprised if Bazemore somehow got it. I think every one of those other guys is absolutely in the equation, and training camp will be when they fight for and earn that spot if that makes sense right right and there's a little other tidbit that Vogel said in there it kind of went unnoticed a little bit I saw but um he was talking about the defense right and they told him uh a lot of our defensive guards went out uh this summer he said they did but we did get a lot of kind of players back that you know aren't liabilities is what he called them and then um he said about the defense um the guards will have help back there again like they did in 2020 so he kind of referred to the uh, he kind of referred to the, two, the you four. know, <laughs> yeah, he kind of he, he kind of slid it in there, went kind of unnoticed. But I made sure to write that down. You know, he said help back there again like they did in 2020, referring more to me to the shot blocking. Right. I think that's the difference. Uh, Dwight Howard and uh, DeAndre Jordan are more shot blocking type of bigs than uh, Harrell and Drummond were. So yeah, Trez that, and Mark just weren't. They just yeah, and vertical, Mark. vertical rim protectors. Exactly. So, you know, these little tidbits he throws out there could put us in any direction. I'm just, I thought that was interesting as well when he, uh, when he referred back to that title team, but it's going to be interesting. We'll know really soon. So uh, we'll know in a, a few days anyway, but I just thought those were kind of interesting um, takes from him. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that part about the defensive liabilities because that to me is the, is the key difference. Like do the, so the last year's Lakers lacked defensive liabilities almost entirely, right? Like maybe aside from Ben McLemore, like all of their guards were good defensive guards and, and wings. Mm-hmm. However, this year, do they have weak defensive guards? Yeah, they do. They have some on the roster, like in wings. Like Carmelo, that's a weak option. Malik Monk, at this point in his career, that's a weak option. Russell Westbrook has shown right. a tendency to be, you know, we've talked about it, but he's he's uh, he's capable of being a good defensive player, but he hasn't been in recent years. Uh, same thing goes for Kendrick Nunn. However, they will. Ab- Frank will absolutely have access to lineups that can defend at the guard position. Will he have options that will be more offensive oriented? Yes, but he will be able to go THT, Russ, Baysmore, Ellington. Those four players are all capable of being above average defensive players. And so from that standpoint, he will always have uh, options. If, if, If the offense is stilted and he needs to get LeBron and AD going, he'll be able to put AD at the five, put a ton of shooting out there, and LeBron and AD will build their confidence. If it's a rock fight like that game against Miami... And it's just like we're we're in a in an ugly fist fight. It's eighty two eighty two with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. He'll be able to go to lineups with more physical point of attack guards that will be able to hold their own on that end. It's there, there, there's a more def, there are more defensive options than people are letting on outside of the Laker fan base. I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And they should be able to keep a competent defense, and Vogel seems um, seems ready to do that. But I'm really interested to see how it looks and how he kind of builds that. Uh, if he goes back to that 2020 kind of uh, defense, or if he starts AD and LeBron at the 4-5, where he can kind of switch a little more. So interested to see how he goes with it, but we'll, we'll know pretty soon. So we have about seven minutes here. We're going to talk about the Ben Simmons situation. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go first on this one. So the obviously the Ben Simmons situation in and of itself is complicated, but it's been kind of attached to this larger narrative having to do with player empowerment. So I think I'm just going to ask you the broad question. What are your thoughts on the Ben Simmons situation and uh, what are your thoughts on the player empowerment movement in general? So to me, these are two separate entities. Like to me, this is a totally different situation because usually in the player empowerment era, Players who are at Ben Simmons' age, he's like 24, who are star players. Ben Simmons, a star in the name. He's been an all-star and all that, who is on a long contract. The reason they want to leave is because it's not a winning situation, right? That's usually the way. So they pull themselves out of it. They, it's a, not a winning situation. They want to go somewhere where they can win games and make money and live in a nicer area, right? That's kind of the way. This is not what's happening with the Ben Simmons situation. He wants to leave a good team. Philly was the one seed last year. Like, we lose this because they lost to the Hawks in the second round. They were the one seed. I think 
did they win 60 games or they won close to it they won like 50 maybe they won like 57 whatever they're a good team uh they they still have their good core intact if ben simmons were to have stayed um but to me this is totally different than the player empowerment area now what's going on in oklahoma city i feel like that should be more of what people should be looking at like what's going on there uh, to me that's a bigger issue that the league should be looking their eyes at adam Silver has totally just you know took a blind eye to that letting them do whatever they want let their star go home in march because they want to lose games like to me that's that's what you should be looking at um Ben Simmons situation is totally different. Doc Rivers should not be going out and saying he doesn't know if his star point guard he can win with when the star point guard is signed for four more years. Like he's been in the league too long to say these kinds of things. If Joel Embiid says that, okay, it's his teammate. You know, he's not really, it's not his job to kind of have PR relations or whatever. Doc Rivers, part of his job is to be good in the media. Like that's part of his job. He's part of, part of his job is to be paid to do that. So I, I think this is a totally different situation. Ben Simmons obviously felt disrespected and wants to leave. And I don't really blame him now. Ben Simmons deciding not to show up to camp. I think that's a threat that I'm not sure he'll really go with. I mean, that's a lot of money to give up. Um, I, I saw like Brian Windhorst said he got paid like half his salary already or something weird um, because, you know, Rich Paul, of, co- yeah, of course, Rich Paul, yeah. yeah, how dare they, you know, get their clients their money early. But uh, obviously it's Rich Paul's fault. <laughs> but, um, oh, but yeah, so I think this is just a different situation to me. Like it's, it's totally new. This is not why star players leave or are leaving. Um, ben Simmons is a totally different situation. So that's how I see. How do you see it? Do you, do you kind of go with that, or do you think this is all in part of the player empowerment area as well? Also, what's happening in New Orleans to me is another thing that like people should be looking at with Zion. You know what I mean? I think that's a bigger thing the league should be looking at rather than this Ben Simmons situation, which to me is totally different. Yeah, you're preaching, Raj. I agree with literally everything that you're saying. Uh, I would argue that there are three completely separate situations taking place here. There is the Ben Simmons situation and the problems that the Sixers should have with the fact that he hasn't improved at all. Um, not, not anything that they should be able to actionably do anything about, but however, it, there is a conversation to be had about Ben Simmons and how like uh, culpable he is in his lack of improvement. Then there's a, a, an issue with the player empowerment era, right? There's a conversation to have about the problems that could manifest in the long run for the league with the health of the, of the fan bases if you continue to let players flex their way out of contracts with many years left. However, that is not at all related, in my opinion, to this specific situation. The Anthony Davis situation with the Pelicans... That's a great example. Grass is greener on the other side. Star just wanted to go to a better team in a better city. You know, the Kawhi Leonard situation is very different. He had a problem with the athletic training staff, you know, uh, uh, but he did do some flexing when he went to the Clippers because he was asking for basically, you know, completely, uh, 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 you know, outrageous favors from the ownership groups. Like there's a conversation to be had about player empowerment. I just don't think it's related to the Ben Simmons case. In the Ben Simmons case, you have a player that has been uh, like directly attacked in the in the press by Joel Embiid, his co-star, and by his head coach, and his general manager has gone out and openly shot the guy. He has every right to want out, and I and I will be. I, I think it would be a huge mistake for Daryl Morey if he decided to try to withhold any salary because I think all the players in the league are watching this situation, and I think oh, it yeah. would directly impact their ability to f- sign free agents in the future. But I think it's important for us to delineate all those subjects, like. Ben Simmons deserves criticism for not improving. The Sixers should absolutely pay Ben Simmons until they trade him. If they want to hold out for a better package, by all means, go ahead. But they should absolutely pay him because they are partially responsible for, for him wanting out. And then the situation with, uh, uh, with player empowerment, there's a conversation to be had there. But it's separate. Those are all separate issues, and they, they shouldn't kind of bleed into each other, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I see people talking about Ben Simmons game like, oh, like, you know, he still does this and he still like to me, Ben Simmons, his issue was never his game. It's like this. It's a lack of aggression. It's a you know, it's a lack of like uh, using his talent to where he could like if he just didn't shoot, it'd be a bigger issue. So to me, his game isn't even a part of this. Like this is totally different. This is a whole different situation to me um, than what people are talking about with this. It has nothing to do with the James Harden situation. Comparing to that just doesn't make sense to me. Like he wants out due to externally are factors right most players who want out it's because of what's it's because they're not winning so to me it's a totally different situation and withholding money like i don't know we, we joke about clutch but i mean that's not enemy you really want in the league to me like i'm just i'm just thinking also it's a bad look as well just withholding withholding money from a player it's just it's just not a good look on your franchise and to me 
I would have let Doc go before I go through this fire. Like, I mean, like, it just, to me, like, that's the move here. Like, I mean, Doc Rivers, I'm sure, is a good, he's been named as a player's coach, which is hilarious about, you know, it's kind of funny how this worked out. But, like, just, I, I feel like I would have let Doc go before I go through this flame with Ben Simmons. Um, and, again, this could have all been probably avoided if none of these comments were public. But, you know, what goes in public is probably half of what's said in private, right? Like, just think about what they say in private if if what came out publicly came out. So, this probably has been brewing. I mean, Ben Simmons isn't dumb. He knows they shopped him for James Harden. And that's part of the NBA. That's not, that's not, that doesn't mean he should have asked for a trade then. I'm just saying, like, this is stuff that's all been building. Uh, but it's totally different, man. Like, again, I said, like, what's happening in OKC, what's happening in New Orleans, to me, is a thing the league should be looking at. This is totally separate. This is uh, something that Philly has done to themselves, in my opinion. And Ben Simmons is at fault. He shouldn't be passing up dunks in this, the fourth quarter of Game 7s. Like, that. he should not be. He needs to be... Uh, he needs to help hold himself accountable for on the stuff on the basketball court, but this is totally separate from that. And I think, I think you've kind of talked about that as well. So I think he's going to be traded. I think they waited too long though. Like the season's about to start. I don't know what they do here. What can you get? A D'Angelo Russell trade package just doesn't really, I don't know, do much. And again, it's such a, it's such a like one of one situation because usually when you're the one seed, like you're not giving up your star player for anything, but just a different situation that I haven't really seen before that I can even compare it to um, because you can't just trade him for first round picks. That does nothing for Joel Embiid. So I don't, I don't know where they go from here. I don't know what they trade him for, but he looks like he's done in Philly. Yeah. I think, I think most of this has been posturing to try to get as much as they can out of him. Um, uh, and my guess is Daryl will eventually bite the bullet. Cause I don't when in doubt, don't go into training camp with drama. <laughs> like the, the Sixers are a legitimate contender, make a deal so that you can go from day one of media day all the way through to the end of the season without turmoil. I think that there's some value to that. And that's for instance, why I think the Anthony Davis trade happened in the summer and not during the season, for example, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, so the last thing, the very last thing, and I'll be really quick cause I know you need to leave. I don't like the comparisons between Ben Simmons and Draymond green. Um, to oh, me, they, yeah. they couldn't be more different, you know, uh, for starters offensively, every, everyone just kind of attaches two things to each other, like can't shoot and good passer. And then they just use those two things to just immediately marry the two of them together as, as similar basketball players to me in just strictly between those two skills, they could not be more different. Dr- Draymond is the best backline defender of this era in terms of communication and ability to disrupt things around the basket, either vertically or using his body to put people off balance or using his hands down around the lane to dis- to disrupt little drop-off passes and things along those lines. Draymond's actually not great out on the perimeter guarding really quick shifty people. That's not a strength of his. Ben Simmons, exact opposite, just... A, a a wing defender that'll just swallow up any super elite offensive player out there. It's a, it's a completely different defensive skill set. And then offensively, they're both great passers, but Draymond Green is a great passer when the defense is already compromised. He's great at making reads. Ben Simmons is someone who breaks down the defense and makes great passes, either by pushing the ball in transition or beating people at the point of attack to get a second defender involved so he can kick out to open three-point shooters. So I think it's important to, to clearly differentiate between those two guys in that regard. And the reason why Ben Simmons is so much better, in my opinion, in terms of a long-term prospect, is the fact that Ben Simmons it can absolutely generate advantages. And if he can get over some of his mental hurdles, he could be a, a devastating playoff player because of his ability to attack mismatches, if that makes sense. No, no, I totally agree with you. I think those comparisons are way off to me. Like Draymond's one of the best competitors ever as well. Just their mindset when they go into these big games is totally different. Like it's just not even fair to compare them to right now where Ben Simmons is. His talent might be more than Draymond's just overall in terms of what he can do. It's just comparing those players where they're at right now in the careers just wouldn't be fair to Draymond as well. I I agree. Yep, I agree. All right, everybody, thank you so much. We got to get Raj out of here. We will get this uploaded to the podcast feed shortly. As always, we appreciate your support, and we will see you guys next week. Thanks, everyone.